0: everybody, welcome to the third episode of the Metro Cinema Podcast. We're calling it Close Up, I quite like the name, it's better than the first one I thought of which was In The Gate.
1: I like In The Gate more to be honest. I
0: I quite liked it as well but it sounds like it's a horse race. That's true. Which um, is relevant, uh, uh, Yes, it is. We are showing a horse film. Uh, I'm Owen Armstrong. I'm the projectionist at Metro Cinema and also the host of the monthly Metro Cinema Trivia at the Tavern on White. With me today is...
2: I'm Heather Noel. I am the vice president of the board of Metro Cinema and the chair of the Programming Committee.
3: And I'm Hitomi Suzuda. I'm a board member of the Metro as well and I'm the curator of Any Excuse for Food.
1: I'm William. I, I scoop popcorn.
0: I would like it if you, <laughs> if you had just said, I'm William. I'm William. You should know said who I nothing am. nothing else. I'm William. Um, but uh, thank you, everyone, for coming back. You weren't here before. So, uh, yeah, we're just going to sort of noodle about some of the things we're uh, showing in March. And uh, we might as well just start any old way, so we're going to start with Climax, which is part of the French Film Festival, which we do, uh, we did it last year definitely, I don't think, we did it the year before that as well.
2: Yeah, I think it's definitely at least our third year doing
0: Uh, it. And Climax is a returning film, it was a bit of a hit at Deadfest. It was a Gaspar Noé film, so that naturally kind of like draws a lot of controversy with it at the same time. Uh, Have any of you seen, uh, have you ever seen Climax for a start? No. No. Uh, have you seen any other Gaspar Noe films?
1: I once tried watching one, and I, g- I gave up <laughs> halfway through. I was like, eh. Which, one, which one would you try? Which one it one you was watch? Love, which was probably like a terrible choice to start with. I, I
0: actually went to the cinema to see Irreversible oh, twice.
1: Oh, mm. okay. so And
2: I a would fan. say Enter the Void was the one that Kind of hit me,
0: and that was artists. actually that was one of the ones I was going to choose for the cinema of psychedelia as well. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, I, I feel like love is it's it's amazing how kind of dull it is considering what <laughs> yeah. its premises <laughs> like. You, it, it couldn't be more kind of bland considering that it's. Supposed to be this pornographic art house film yeah. or something.
1: It was real, real boring. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I love a good boring film, but that one was, uh, <laughs> it was rough. I like a really long way.
0: film where nothing happens at all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes I just watch my TV with nothing on it. <laughs> um, but uh, it sounds like, I mean, th- th- one of his early films, *Carné*, I think it was called, was a short film. That kind of like uh, you know straddled that. It's pornographic, but also but artistic. Also kind of very, very artistic at the same time. For anyone who doesn't know, it is about a group of dancers who convene in a room and someone laces the sangria with uh, some kind of drug. Yes. Something happens, and then the film is about finding out uh, who done it. But in a kind of like s- slowly more heavily induced drug state
2: right and it is like a bit of a dance film yes as well. musical yeah yeah, yeah. yeah horror,
0: actually it's been has musical. been has been referred to as a musical which i think is interesting fun mm. yeah i like a <laughs> I like, fun for the whole thing i like really. an abstract musical <laughs> i consider the, the wicker man a musical
2: oh okay.
0: that is it is it. yeah absolutely of course it is yeah see now the wicker man <laughs> is a, a horror musical as well it is mm-hmm. Is it a horror film?
2: Are you thinking... Wait, are you thinking of the Nicolas
0: Cage would Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Not, yeah. Not the beast. <laughs> not the bees! It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. one of the that's finest songs of all time. <laughs> not the bees. The <laughs> 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 yeah. Um Yeah. So anyway, that's part of the... Uh, that is part of the French Film Festival. Uh, and there's a few other films we've got in there as well. I don't think we've, we've got Le the... Les Prince is
3: part yeah. of that series as well. Yeah,
2: okay. there's both Les Petit Prince and then what looks like a documentary... About the book. Okay. Uh, Le Petit Prince. And then um, there's also the new uh, Jean Luc Godard film, The Image Book, which is playing. Prolific, originally French new wave filmmaker who now makes kind of these film collage uh, essay films. So yeah, I think it's probably the most experimental thing playing.
3: Yeah. Oh, and then there's The Fireflies You're which is mm-hmm. the Quebec right teen
0: coming of age okay yeah. slow moving what was the the film that we showed faces places, places that agnes varda yeah. Yeah. agnes varda
2: and jean luc godard comes across like a total Yeah. and yeah. is, <laughs> is, is, is that because <laughs> that, should
0: they try to go to his house and yes. he doesn't and he, show up and he doesn't let leave them leaves, in yeah he leaves like a, a sort of weird trail and he writes a note on the door yes that's a really heartbreaking moment in that film and at the t- up until that point i wasn't really you know super interested in the project I like enjoy watching her just sort of talk about the world she has a very kind of very yeah, naturally poetic um, embrace of everything that's happening around her you know despite her age she just doesn't seem to be getting any older not at all um, but yeah that was a really a difficult moment actually I thought I didn't like that at all
4: mm.
2: yeah Will and I took a class on Agnes Varder and I think it, you know both of the these filmmakers Jean-Luc Godard and Agnes Varder in their 80s now and they're still making movies but it's kind of, um, this itch- that moment is kind of this interesting distillation of this g- feminist take that Agnes Vardet uh, has where she puts herself in front of the camera, which is a- a traditionally not something that um, male filmmakers are as likely to do. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that in Faces right. Places she's like there, she is the center of the film, and then she goes to see him and he doesn't turn up. Yeah. And yeah. I just read this, interv- or this article in Film Comment, an interview with his collaborator now, because he is um, much, too uh, shaky to do a lot of the editing himself so he has someone who's he's kind of talking with and he's mm. doing he's doing parts of it and then they're translating it to a different digital medium um, and ap- apparently he doesn't make appearances at all anymore wow. and so this guy is is touring with the image book represent you know he doesn't want to speak for Godard but he's there kind of representing the film yeah. in in the place of him so
0: interesting yeah uh, so what's the actual dates for the French show?
2: so I believe it all begins let me just say that this is a partnership that um, Metro does with uh, the... Alliance Francaise? F- yes, thank you. And uh, it's it's kind of... It happens in March to celebrate the International Day of La Francophonie, which is March 20th. So this year, it's beginning on uh, the 15th, March 15th. So okay. it's
0: kind of like... Fantastic. Middle of the month. Uh, definitely check out uh, the uh, Alliance Francaise website. Mm-hmm. Uh, to find out a full programme, and I think we'll probably have that up on MetroCinema.org uh, as well mm-hmm. uh, at some point in the very near future. Uh, for more details, because there's loads more showing as well. We just uh, we just covered uh, a very few. Uh, I'm now joined by award-winning filmmaker Geraldine Carr. You may well know her from Maud, Mary and the Titanic and Birds in Passing. She's also an alumni of Women in the Director's Chair, which is an intensive hands-on mentorship program that provides professional and creative development to Canadian women directors of screen-based fiction. She's also now co-curating a series here at Metro called The Female Gaze, which starts March 7th and I believe runs until the 13th. Geraldine, welcome.
5: Oh, thanks Owen. Pleasure to be here
0: uh so tell us a bit about the female gaze
5: um for quite some time now i've been wanting to uh, program curate a women's film festival in edmonton the term the female gaze is a theoretical film term and i thought it would be perfect for our program this year we have a selection of short films and feature films documentaries Oscar nominated films and and the female gaze is a perspective that is reflective of narrative storytellers whether they be cinematographers or directors or writers and we're going to be showcasing unique stories told with a moving image that possess female-centric vulnerability and sensitivity but also power. We are all influenced by the male gaze
0: which is a term I think attributed to Laura Mulvey isn't it so the female gaze is a response to that
5: yes Uh, the uh, Mulvey's perspective from what I understand is that the male gaze was predominantly focused on the woman's body Mm -hmm. and um, the female gaze is is more reflective of the whole being the story and not specific to just a f- uh, physical gaze
0: so one of the films that uh, that we are showing that i know that you've seen as well is life may be yes. which uh, caught my interest because it's co-directed by mark cousins who i remember from um the uh, film history and odyssey right which was the 15-hour documentary <laughs> of film history which is absolutely fantastic if you haven't seen it he co-curated this film life may be with someone that you met at a film festival, if I'm yeah. correcting. The same yeah,
5: note. he, he co directed. It's uh, an Iranian filmmaker, artist who's living in exile in London. Um, her name is Mania Akbari. I met Mania when I was in Ankara, Turkey, um, with my film Mod Mary and the Titanic. Both films are essay films, meaning they are documentaries but told from a, a um, subjective view rather than ob- objective. And the film, Life May Be, is absolutely beautiful. It's poetic, it's based on um, two individuals writing letters to each other, Mm -hmm. and um, the two individuals being Mania and Mark Cousins. So um, it really is a a beautiful film, and and I think it will appeal to to Edmonton audiences. I do want to talk about another film um uh, that's coming which is called melody makers yeah. it's part of the music program Yep, yeah, and great. i think it's playing tuesday march 12th and um i understand dana wiley is going to perform beforehand a, a local brilliant talent but um i also saw melody makers at a festival in toronto at the female eye film fest and it's it's a film that's made by Leslie Ann Coles and it focuses on uh, a rock photographer named Barry Wenzel, he was the chief contributing photographer for England's magazine Melody Makers during the 60s and here we have a female filmmaker telling the story of a, a male.
0: On the same night as Melody Makers, we're also showing um, Capernaum, just after it, actually.
5: And we're screening it, not just once, we're screening it a number of times. It's a Lebanese film made by Nadine Labakia. That's right, I, yeah. I don't know if that's the proper pronunciation. And she won the jury prize at the 2018 Cannes Film Fest. And so it's nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars. It's a story of a, a, a young boy. He's asked by the judge, why are you attacking your parents in court? And he answers, for giving me life. I think that's very interesting. And I, I'm, I just can't wait to see it.
0: Is there any other um, that's part of the actual female gaze program that you're kind of co-curating that have caught your interest?
5: Well, of course we have... Um, a feature film made by an Albertan, a woman named Sandy Summers from um, Calgary that I'm looking forward to seeing. She will join us in person. We'll have a panel discussion afterwards. Her feature is called Ice Blue. It was made in 2018. It was written by Jason Long. Um, it's a thriller and um, she's been getting some attention for it. She won uh, Best featured Director at the LA Femme Film Festival and uh, was awarded Best of Calgary's Best Filmmaker, so um, I think it it's really great to support our local talent as well. I suppose
0: most importantly then, given that we are supporting local filmmakers, are we sharing any of your films?
5: Yes, I, I was asked by Pete Harris who is the amazing film programmer here at Metro Cinema I acquiesced and decided that I will show Maude Mary and the Titanic um, prior to Mania Akbari's and Mark Cousins' film Life May Be because they're both essay films and I and it was Mania who I met in Turkey and I think it will, it will complement uh, her film nicely.
0: Okay, so some of the films that we've got that uh, don't fall directly uh, into the films that you've created, but are part of uh, the general content that falls under the umbrella of the female gaze. Some of the films that are are there are A League of Their Own.
5: Which which is great, because A League of Their Own was directed by Penny Marshall, who unfortunately recently died this past December. So we're going to screen it as a Penny Marshall tribute. And... um, A League of Their Own was made in 92. It stars Gina Davis, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell, Tom Hanks. And Gina Davis is is pretty integral because, from my perspective, because she has created the Gina Davis Institute on Gender in Media. She did that in 2004. It's a research-based organization that works within the media and entertainment industry to engage and educate and influence content creators, marketers, audiences about the importance of eliminating things like unconscious bias, challenges, stereotypes, and, and really pushes to create role models and and, and and scripts that have strong female characters that target and influence young girls. So a great tribute to Penny Marshall and, and also um, Gina
0: Davis Well as with all of the things that we show at Metro full details can be found at metrocinema.org so go and visit that it's being updated daily but I think that pretty much covers it Geraldine thank you very much for coming in
5: Oh it's been a pleasure thank you kindly you
0: Also starting on March 5th is Lipfest, which is another returning partnership, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, I mean this is a long-running festival mm-hmm. in Edmonton and uh, just over the last few years um, Metro's become one of the venues for the festival.
0: And one of the events that we've got on, which I think uh, a few people are quite excited about, is uh, Susan Orlean she is coming in to talk about...
2: It's a book about li- libraries.
0: That's right, so she's in to talk about her new book, or well, her latest book, I guess, the library book.
1: I think we, what is it? We want to speak into existence her introing adaptation.
0: We've invited her to do that. Okay. It has not yet been confirmed, mm. but that would be pretty nice. I it think we're it, certainly a, a film a lot of people are familiar with, and also had a great turnout last time we showed it. Was uh, Spike Jones's adaptation, which was based on her book, The Orchid Thief, which was given to Charlie Kaufman to turn into a film and he didn't know how to do it so that became the film adaptation i was reading as well it's quite uh, when she first read the first treatment of the uh, of the screenplay she was disgusted <laughs> and uh, didn't give her approval because she thought that she that they turned it into this hollywood right uh you know kind of drama action film and it you know it's just not, that not that it's not that at quite all, quite
1: the opposite but how it
0: must have looked on the page yes. yeah
2: well, and I mean, it also she's written right into it with Meryl Streep playing her, and they she does some drugs in it. like it's definitely <laughs> yeah. not. I mean, I haven't read the Orchid thief, but I have yeah. a feeling that it,
0: you know, takes well, it, some liberties <laughs> if if you had uh, if you'd written a book and you know somebody had, uh, had you know purchased the rights to turn it into a film, and they just started abusing parts of your life and mm-hmm. just drawing on things that were or were not true, mm-hmm. um, you know, that would that does seem like a bit of a liberty. But the end product is not quite as, uh, you know, as dark as it seems.
2: And I mean, I will admit that when I first saw Adaptation, I had that reaction to the ending where I, you know, Charlie Kaufman spends the first, Charlie Kaufman in the body of N- Nicolas Cage, Nicholas Cage yeah. spends all this time, you know, trying you know wanting to be so true to this book and I was I was rooting for him to do that and so when he you know sells out in the end I didn't know how to feel about it so I'm kind of interested in seeing it again seeing how I feel about it now.
0: What was it you were telling me earlier Will about the uh, the other book that he's right yeah uh, twin brother is reading <laughs> which which starts to infect yeah his kind of writing or understanding of, of the well, old thief
1: owen and i in the summer we were sort of collaborating on a short film that didn't get finished and that was my fault but uh, <laughs> anyway it's not too late <laughs> it's not too late <laughs> yeah. but uh, a friend of mine has i was talking to him as i was planning this film and he suggested me this book robert mckee's story which is sort of an infamous Scriptwriter's book that gives you the very sort of coded hollywood-esque story structures to follow Mm -hmm. and i saw this film sort of at the same time after this person had recommended me this book and kaufman's brother in the film is using this robert mckee book to write his own script that he ends up getting famous for and blah 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 Mm -hmm. and it sort of uh, you know it, it reconfirmed my views that cinema probably shouldn't be this highly Conventional sort of um, yeah, okay. scripted. Yes, <laughs> to, to scripted. Well, Fame. no, that was one of the
0: first things that uh, that we talked about when it came out uh, when I was at university. Actually, was it? It very deliberately breaks all those rules.
2: I, I also love Brian Cox as Robert McKee in that movie. Yes, so yes.
0: Yeah. Brian Cox is is uh, just great always. Just terrifying. Yeah. I'm also a Charlie coffin fan as well. I, I really liked uh, synecdoche New York. Mm-hmm. That was another one I saw multiple times in the cinema,
2: and that is a movie that really doesn't sell out. Like it really does no, not follow not any all. kind of
0: conventional structure. Tom Noonan in it is absolutely fantastic. He's so captivating as this person trying to mimic uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and mm-hmm. Philip Seymour Hoffman's brilliant in it as well. It's just so heavily layered. I suppose that is the point of the uh, <laughs> the title, at the very least. <laughs> Okay, Lacey Page has worked as a journalist and writer, contributing to publications like Fangoria, Gorezone, Diabolique, Delirium, Absolute Underground, and more. And she was also previously the communications and media relations coordinator for the ever-popular Dead Fest, which has found a her home here at Metro for many years. She's now returned with a second installment of her own series entitled Dead Fem Exhumed. Lacey, welcome.
6: Thank you.
0: So, for those of you who don't know, what is uh, the focus of Dead Fem, and what drove you to create a program of your own in the first place?
6: So, um, Dead Femme basically promotes the unique cinematic visions of women in genre film and it celebrates the rising prevalence of women who are kind of opting to work behind the lens or behind, kind of behind the scenes of film as opposed to just being actresses or working in front of the film. So, um, the idea kind of spawned from me just being on the uh, board of directors for Dead Fest for a few years. Um, So I've been attending DeadFest since its very first year in 2007 and was always just kind of a die-hard fan. And um, just over the past few years with DeadFest, we've been showcasing a lot of really great stuff um, from women in genre. So we kind of wanted to, um, I think it was 2016 with DeadFest, we wanted to put together some subsidiary events. So with that, we had the, I think it was the Tough as Fuck Action Festival, and then we had Dead Femme which rolled out at the uh, 2016 Dead Fest with uh, Anna Biller's Love Witch.
0: We showed that on 35 mm, if I remember correctly. Yeah,
6: very popular movie. She's kind of a, a Jill of all trades, like she does the costume. She really wearing, is. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's really fantastic because I guess if you're talking about like gender stereotypes and stuff, you'd think that kind of I don't know. I feel like she really kind of defies the the boundaries of where like tradition has kind of called for women to be working in the film industry.
0: So, The Hitchhiker, which is our March screening, March 7th, if I've got that right?
6: Yep. It's a Thursday. Uh, Showtime is at 9.30 and it's part of Metro Cinemas, I believe it's a week-long celebration of women in the film industry. It's called The Female Gaze. I guess it kind of just, uh, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, film noir, um, Definitely one of my all-time favorite movies is Billy Wilder's Ace in the Hole, so um, I don't want to say I'm a a big um, buff of film noir, but um, basically the reasoning for choosing that movie is when I decided to bring Dead Femme back in its second rendition, which is Dead Femme Exhumed. Um, I guess my primary goal was to really draw uh, from different kind of decades and eras of filmmaking. So um, everything from like my my current list comprises of 80 uh, slasher movies. So far we've done um, Jennifer Lynch's surveillance which was really great. And just a few weeks ago we, uh, I should say I had the pleasure of uh, doing the Edmonton premiere of Karen Kusama's latest movie, Destroyer, so we had a really great turnout for that. But going back to Hitchhiker, I just really wanted to, um, you know, select something that was a little bit uncharacteristic of the other, I guess, the overarching, like, theme of things, and just kind of, again, draw from as far back as possible. And um, I believe The Hitchhiker is actually the only film noir that's ever been made by a woman, so.
0: It was certainly the first. I was also reading about Ida Lupino. She was also a director on The Twilight Zone. Yes. She and she was the zones. only female director on the Twilight Zone, I think, but also the only director to appear in any of the episodes as well, because she was also an actress, Yeah. which is an amazing fact.
6: So I think it's really great that um, there's so many, I guess, like feminist um, things happening. You know, we have, uh, there's another film festival here at Metro called the Not Your Final Girl Film Festival. That's right, Their yeah. approach is a little bit different, um, but... I guess there's like there seems to be an understanding that like women working in film is like a, a very like new thing that has just kind of started happening in the last decade or so. So I think the fact that uh, Dead Femme is screening Ida Lupino's um, The Hitchhiker from 1953 just goes to show that women have always kind of been there. They just haven't been well represented, unfortunately. So Dead Femme is aiming to change that. title the hitchhiker like there's been so many movies like the series from what is it the late 70s 80s the hitchhiker so i mean it probably really has gotten lost in the mix of you know similar movies or similar titles or you know again it's it's kind of a diamond in in the rough when you think about you know film noir and the fact that there's there really were no other women making like Doing things like that in cinema at that time—certainly
0: so. not in Hollywood yeah. uh, in the fifties. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. no, it's a, it's a really good choice. Uh, so, um, in terms of future screenings, I know that uh, your next uh, the next scheduled screening for *Dead Family* is in May. Yes, and I know that we haven't got any films locked for that yet. But what would you like? What kind of things would you like to? As uh, you'd like to expand on the series.
6: Um, I definitely have a list. So um, first and foremost I really want to screen Amy Holden Jones's uh, Slumber Party Massacre which I believe was from 1983. So again I've showed stuff from the early 2000s and then you know uh, Karen Kusama is obviously more of an up-and-coming filmmaker so we showed her latest and then going back to the 50s with uh, The Hitchhiker so I'd really like to do something from the 80s. I love slasher movies, I love horror movies so um, you know, hence my involvement in Dead Fest and yeah. writing for Fangoria and stuff like that. So um, that would be my number one title. Um, I know we've kind of had, had some issues getting the screening rights in the past. So I'm not sure if that's actually going to be doable at, at any point. But mm-hmm. um, possibly the Sasuka sisters, American Mary, if we want to kind of go back into more recent stuff. Or uh, Catherine Bigelow is always one of my favorite filmmakers. If I could, I would love to show Near Dark again in 35 millimeter like we did. We actually have
0: a copy sitting up in the booth right now. So Dave Clark, he does the ghost light tour mm-hmm. uh, once a month on a Sunday, brings a good people into the booth. I always put on the first reel of Near Dark.
6: It's a very beautiful movie. It's just the way that uh, Catherine Bigelow kind of uh, defied all you know boundaries with genres and stuff it's a western it's a romance it's a vampire movie it's so many different things so
0: it's also one of my first introductions to tangerine dream
6: nice Nice. it was for a lot of people actually I hear that a lot
0: which is you know uh, uh, a lifelong love affair now
6: So I have actually mentioned to Metro that I would also like to show Strange Days, which is another mm-hmm. Catherine Bigelow movie.
0: Very underrated one, actually, as well. Yeah,
6: exactly. You know, it'd be
0: fantastic to, to show any of the ones that you just listed. Um, but, yeah, don't forget, put it in your diary March 7th, which is a Thursday at uh, 930. 9.30. Yeah and is there anything else that's going to go with the events or is it just just getting short films before anything or music um,
6: or i'm really hoping to secure some short films because with uh, dead femme exhumed i haven't I, i've just had some bad luck kind of finding local filmmakers like i know quite a few but everybody is kind of like working on stuff or they have nothing mm-hmm. on the go right now so it's just been you know more or less that and just showing trailers for you know great movies and uh, the edmonton dead by con festival which is I guess two weeks from now it's february 16th and 17th so i've kind of been um, doing my part with dead fem to promote them i hope they do the same for me but i think it's really great that edmonton has its own horror con now so yeah and one more movie i would really like to show as part of dead fem is jackie kong's the being okay which was also from 1983 um so i don't know maybe i'll just pick something from 1983 because there seems to be a theme <laughs> with that but a uh, really great creature feature jackie kong is another unfortunately just very underappreciated and underknown kind of filmmaker so yeah. um dead femme had the pleasure of showing her movie blood diner which was a lot of fun so, right yeah yeah she's very you know her stuff is very like schlocky and kind of old school 80s practical effects it's a lot of fun so especially to see with an audience with a couple of beers and stuff so yeah. yeah yeah
0: all right Lacey. well thank you very much for coming in
6: yeah thanks for having me
0: no problem Right, Friday, March 22nd, sees the return of Real Revolution with Richard Attenborough's 1982 film, Gandhi. Uh, So that seems as good a reason as any to welcome back the curator of Real Revolution, Michael Jan. So, Michael, welcome.
4: Thank you for having me back.
0: Uh, Now, you've slapped everyone around the face with February's screening of Malcolm X, and the wake-up call doesn't end there, does it?
4: No, and the Gandhi choice was, I think, partly a contrast to Malcolm X, but partly a continuation of the same theme about... Uh, questions about the role of faith, about religion, about violence, about uh, is nonviolent activism always the case? Uh, Gandhi, I know, got into trouble for some of the statements he made uh, talking about nonviolent resistance to Hitler. Mm-hmm. Uh, other times, there's there's interesting questions about. Uh, when what form of resistance and how is best applied and and I thought this film would continue to provoke the same discussion that we had at Malcolm X and continue it forward
0: absolutely I learned uh, that uh, not only is Gandhi's birthday a national holiday but uh, it's also the international day of Nonviolence.
4: yeah and and I uh, I will acknowledge that all of the characters in all our films and everyone with history can be problematic, and certainly there were things that Gandhi said and did that uh, are 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 huge issues that we don't want to hold up as as the golden model like like Malcolm X. But I think that as a as a character and as an idea and as um, a film, it's still. It, very worthy of, of our reflection, and even though it's, let's see, almost uh, 35 years old, I think it's still uh, 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 worth thinking about and, and wrestling with some of the ideas that the film puts forward. Gandhi forces us to reckon with some of the questions around faith and religion and activism. Again, somebody who is willing to lay down his life to go on hunger fast, to, to go to the extremes um, for an idea. and. Uh, he uh he certainly led a, a a fascinating life and and through the 19th uh, through the the last century some of the major geopolitical struggles he was a part of it in one way or another be it south africa be it uh indian independence be it wrestling with the wars in europe uh he was there Weird. so it's a bit yeah it's a bit of an older film um some of it is overacted some of it i don't think holds holds as a, Uh, as true to the times as as it once did but it was best picture of the year and it certainly was very influential it's a longer film to wrestle with but i don't think anybody who comes to see the film will leave without uh uh, without being challenged in some sense i think there's there's certainly um some questions about some of gandhi's statements or political positions or or later on he took the the idea of nonviolent. uh uh, nonviolent resistance to the extreme, and and I know he was most criticized for the idea that the the, the Jews should have committed mass suicide mm-hmm. against Hitler and things like that. So you can sort of see um, some of what I would consider the absurdities of of, yeah. of that. But as an idea about nonviolent activism, and, and especially contrasting this right after we saw Malcolm X and some of the ideas as well too about um, when is it self defense, when is it aggression? Yeah. All of the all of these questions I think are really important for the audience to wrestle with, and I think this film does really good job of, of laying it out front and center. And as we think about other independence move, uh, movements around the world right now, or or even in, in the face of uh, police aggression in certain states or what we're seeing happen in Brazil or or just south of the border, what what is the best path forward in the name of yeah. justice?
0: There's an important distinction I think he makes in the film as well, and I am completely paraphrasing here, but it's about, you know, he's willing to die for an ideology but not willing to kill for one
4: yeah so i, I think i think it again fits with our theme around martyrdom and, yes <laughs> and, and again right, yet yeah. another uh uh protagonist perishes in the film spoiler uh but the uh i, I do I, as as you touched on too i i like the idea that um uh both malcolm and gandhi have uh uh, are flawed characters that they they did have they did have uh, problematic behavior and and they aren't perfect but that doesn't mean that we should uh, discount their their ideas or their message or their story wholesale. Exactly.
0: And one long term benefit of having made Gandhi
4: is that Richard Attenborough got to then appear in Jurassic Park. There is a God, and she has a sense of humor. <laughs> Well, and they always describe how, like in uh, *Doctor Zhivago*, the the weather is the the fourth character, right? Like, and 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 I think to to some extent here, trying to capture the pluralism of India in the '80s, and, and just thinking about how Gandhi organized and how word spread, and and this in this day of. Uh, uh, Twitter and Facebook and everything else is fascinating too. Think about how do you how do you, uh, in a country with a billion people like India how do how do you mobilize how do you spread the word how do you resist the world's largest imperial power and get the lion off your back right It's yeah. it it just from a logistics perspective is fascinating as well to go back and think about. I, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention our uh, our community partners for this episode. Again, we'll be working with our friends at Hate Free Edmonton. We'll also be uh, working with the, the Gandhi Institute at the U of A. We're reaching out to the Gandhi Foundation and others who will hopefully be sharing some of the, the uh, uh, ongoing opportunities in the community to get involved in Gandhi's legacy at the Faculty of Education just down the block. Every summer, there's a Gandhi Institute summer program that they have, and there's other educational opportunities in the community to think about uh uh, peaceful non violence and think about education and the tie ins to our system here. So, as one of the themes of Real Revolution is thinking about students and student engagement, um, we're very excited about that part, that portion too. Excellent.
0: All right. Well, um, I'm, again, I hope it's a, a, another success. It's another one of those films that we rarely get to see on the big screen again, like Mark Maxwell. It's nice to, to be able to bring it back. I think one of the, the, the things that, that prevent people from screening stuff like this is simply the length.
4: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I know I know. We, we we really wrestled with that, whether we could be that daring to have an, another over three-hour film. But we think it's worth it, and we know that uh, Metro is stocked with many delicious local brews that you can buy in support of the theatre. And you uh,
0: three hours to enjoy them. Three
4: hours to enjoy your, your food and beverage. So, yeah, uh, uh, do come out. Do come and support Metro and get your Silver Screen Pass. All right, Michael. Thank you
0: very much for coming.
4: Yeah, thank you for having me.
2: Like, about drug, a drug family. Birds, and of, and passage. Birds of Passage. There Birds you go. That's, That's like a... I <laughs> wanted, to,
0: uh, I wanted to mention that. <laughs> that. The Birds of Passage is from the same directors of uh, Embrace of the Serpent, which is something we showed a couple yeah. of years ago, I think. Oh, I really wanted um, to see that. And uh, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of information, but watch the trailer. The music is astounding. I tried to find out who it was, but it seems like a, a relatively unknown... Um, composer But the film chronicles a Yu family's rise and fall during the early days of illegal drug trading in Colombia, spanning the late '60s to the '70s. Uh, the film is divided into five chapters: Wild Grass, The Graves, Prosperity, The War, and Limbo. Mm. And uh, this soundtrack I speak of is by Leonardo Highblum. So I don't know, uh, yeah, I don't know where else I would have heard of him before, but it sounds absolutely fantastic. But uh, while we're speaking oh, of oh, international
3: films, probably want to mention the um, Iwara Amora Kalabi film as well about the, Eith, and that's uh, a true story about um, Ethiopia. Major Tibebu Mesfin. It's mm-hmm. a local
2: filmmaker actually. I've met the filmmaker who directed this, okay. um, and he—it's him telling his own story of trying to get out of Ethiopia, I guess, as right. an immigrant,
3: yeah.
2: uh, and and completely self-funded. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it. It sounds like it was quite the accomplishment to get to get this film it's, made. It's
3: gotten a lot of, of really critical mm-hmm. um, applause for the film. Mm-hmm. So that one is on March twenty fourth. <laughs>
0: Okay, I'm sat here with Liz Hay, who curates Kink on Screen, which is now in its second year. Liz is also a governance assistant at Grant McEwen. Liz, thank you very much for coming.
7: Thank you for having me. Tell us
0: about Kink on Screen.
7: Well, it's a curated series happening every other month. And I just, looking at different films that I find interesting, I try to reach out to various community members that I think might have a different eye on different films and pull them together and try to screen them. So some of them are more comedic, some of them are more educational, some of them are just smut, and that's kind of the editorial okay direction. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Kink on Screen is another of our, uh, as I said, another of our returning seasons of Match. I'd say the films are becoming um, progressively more subversive uh, in the treatment of their given subject matter, uh, which is great. Uh, I feel the season as a whole is getting more raw as it progresses, because you started off with Secretary,
7: I did, yeah. And
0: yep. uh, um, Professor Marsden and the Wonderman. Yes, yes. And then suddenly it kind of like takes a dive into... Well, you had Notorious Betty Page yes, as well, Notorious which is actually... Bid I remember Beach. seeing that in the cinema when yeah. it first came yeah. out, uh, which was great. Uh, and then that, I'd say that's where, where it sort of goes off the cliff a little bit with Tom <laughs> of Finland Yeah. and uh, The Pleasure of Rope yep. and Preaching to the Perverted. And it gets a bit more... Um, specific, I think, in its if, in its treatment of, of what it's talking about.
7: And I think that was, it was more intentional starting out with something a little bit more, you know, to use the term vanilla, but a little bit more vanilla, a little bit more palatable for the group because we didn't really know what our crowd was like or if we could really attract the people that would want to come to that no, that kind of film series. And so when we, when I was looking at the films for this year and just trying to figure out what might fit, you know, and, and Metro has been so really supportive with the kind of films that they've given me license to really indulge in. Mm-hmm. And that you know, there's, The Pleasure of Rope was very explicit, but it was really well received and it's a really well, fairly well put together documentary. I mean, we can talk about, yeah. we can talk about the, the, the problems or the problematic representation of kink generally on screen, which is kind of, you know, what I found with curating is it's difficult to find unproblematic films that maybe show kink in a different way Mm -hmm. it's very stereotypical you know pretty standard responses to you know titillation and so i'm trying to steer away from those and get things that are either a bit more a bit more guttural a bit more raw like you say or a bit different and so this was the other the other part of it too is just having um having representations of queer voices in kink i mean that is if anybody's out there making films and you want to make a film, that <laughs> there is no that, that I've been finding difficult to find is queer representations in in any kind of kink scenario where it's a longer either a documentary or even a narrative where it that that posits the narrative a little bit differently. Yeah. So that's that's been my kind of. I would love to be able to find those films, and so I've been trying to you know research and just delve deeper and, and try to find those in the overall milieu of films, but when I first put together the uh, submission for the, the project as a curator, I had a list of films and then I would look through and I was like, oh, that person or that curatorial group has already used that film for mm-hmm. this. for this. So it's already been screened in the past year and I didn't want to jump into that. But you could see that they're, you know, they're well-loved films. They're really amazing films like the movie Bound, which is coming up, I think.
0: Yeah, um, that's a... Uh, um,
7: homicidal, well, it would have already screened. Actually, right? yes,
0: it's in the past.
7: Yeah, it's in the past. <laughs> so, but that would be one that I, you know, would have been perfect because it does have that sort of... It um, has it has the it has a relationship there. It's a little it's a little on the kinky side. Like it would be a really great film, but you know there are it has been screened quite a while, quite a lot. So I'm also trying to divert away from films that have you know have a heavier screening and just go to newer films. So again, you know part of the reason why I was super excited to get the film that we've got for March 31st is the newness of it and the fact that you know it's it's a fairly new film. It's Coming up, so it's it's still fresh. We still haven't screened it a whole lot. So, hopefully, people can watch it and have a really great uh, like an opportunity to be able to to watch a new film and really get something different out of it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And let's tell people what that film is it's, Ooh, that, the, it's, it's the, the Artist and the Pervert. That's I was right.
7: burying the lead. That's sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, no, it was The Artist and the Pervert, and it's uh, George Friedrich Haas uh, is a. He's a famous Austrian composer and his wife Melina is a famous American kink educator and descendant of African slaves. Together they live in a public kinky relationship they have both craved for 40 years. She is a slave muse and he is her master. So it, it's a really amazing portrait into into their lives, into their kink, into their relationship. I know of Melina from her work in the kink community and she's a, like a celebrated educator is an understatement she is really amazing and to see their dynamic on screen is just it's 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 amazing too so i i just hope that everybody that has the opportunity to come and see the film really can engage with it and if they're not familiar with either of those personalities or with their kink that they come with an open mind and they can watch it as it's presented i've heard it's been really well received at different festivals and that kind of thing as well so
0: yeah I'm it's got it's got excited. quite a, a, an interesting buzz around it mm. another thing that um you had incorporated in some of the earlier screenings was post um post film q a's mm. and you had i think you had at one point you had a live recording of a podcast a kink podcast that's true yeah. uh, which was great because it gives uh a, especially after the some of the earlier ones like i think it was after um uh secretary and it really helped to kind of embolden the context of what it was they were trying to get at but perhaps were not able to because mm-hmm. it was a relatively mainstream film
7: absolutely so to
0: go further into those details on stage is a really you know good opportunity for people to um understand it further
7: oh absolutely um,
0: are you hoping to do more of that
7: well i think for this film i've yet to confirm it but um I'm pretty sure like, but man, uh, comfortable enough to say it, but I think we'll probably have uh, some members from the leather community in uh, Edmonton. And uh, there's, uh, oh, I wish I I should have done my research. No, uh, there's there's uh, folks that have done a boot blocking, they've won a boot blocking championship. And so they're raising funds to be able to travel and educate uh, what their passion is, which is boot blocking. And it's uh, part of the leather community. And so we're—they're going to be doing their boot blocking in the uh, lobby, and then hopefully talking about what the leather community means to them, and that ties in with Molina's tie-in with the leather community as well. So it, I try to reach out to different uh, different community members to bring them in if they want to educate. You know, it's essentially a free, you know, captive audience, and yeah. you know, if you want to have the lobby, go right ahead. Um, I haven't tried to put a lot of you know a lot of qualifiers around what people want to do in the lobby for the main reason that you know if somebody wants to come through and they did that for Professor Marston and the Wonder Women um they did we did a, a rope demo essentially in the lobby and we just wanted to make sure that you know while we are totally comfortable and, and Metro was totally comfortable promoting the movie and, and having the space but not everybody that was in the movie before was comfortable coming out so we still had to have a little bit of uh, censorship in in the lobby area, but within that guys, it was really amazing We were able to actually they were actually able to do a full suspension oh, wow. of, of somebody in the lobby not from any of the structures in the lobby, but you know They had their own suspension piece there, so it was really it was really great. And I think it was really well received and we also did a We also did a wax demo for one of them as well so it was uh, I think it was before Pride or it was during Pride. And there was they did like a full like rainbow wax demo. Yeah, it was it was neat to watch. So you know, trying to trying to engage the community, but I'm also not prescriptive with that. If somebody wants to join in, they're more than welcome to join in and, and talk about what they do or what's important to them or what they enjoy. But you know I I have my own interest in the King community, but I'm not at a level where I feel like I can really educate, mm-hmm. so I bring in people who are more comfortable speaking to what they love and enjoy, and that's kind of... You're a facilitator. Weird. I'm a facilitator. You're a that's facilitator a of kink. That's yeah, okay. Ex- <laughs> <laughs> sure, I'll take that as much. That's
0: fine. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, that is going to be March 31st at 9.30, um, and people are going to need to get here early to... Uh, take part in some of the things in the lobby or is that
7: it's always welcome yeah okay. i would say that you know we try to get whatever it is going the programming going um you know half an hour or 45 minutes before the yeah. actual film starts just because we usually have the lobby and that's a good time for people to usually stop by and and it's always been really
0: shock is always best absorbed with the knees bent <laughs> so yeah march 31st nine thirty. uh get here early for the uh pre-film festivities and uh, feel free to take part. But, Liz, thank you very much for coming in and talking to me.
7: Thank you very much for having me.
2: I can talk about Thunder Road. We're playing this film that is, I think, fairly low budget indie indie film, and it was originally made as a short film, but uh, I think was a big uh, word of mouth hit at the Sundance Film Festival. It is a kind of dark comedy all done in one take. The premise is it's this cop who's at his mother's funeral and he's delivering the eulogy and he becomes kind of increasingly unhinged and obviously not a public speaker um, by nature but just this performance, this like one take performance that culminates in him playing I think the Bruce Springsteen song Thunder Road and doing this kind of dance, singing it, and I think they had to, the the director had to do quite a bit of work to get the rights to this song, which is kind of essential to the story, but I think it's a comedy, but it also has this very kind of dark, depressing kind of tone as well. It's funny because I think the, the
0: trailer tells you that. Yeah. It says literally on the screen, you know, a dark comedy from whatever, but... Nothing in the trailer reveals it's, that it's in any way funny at all. It's like it's a. Uh, but I know. think
3: the relationship maybe between him and his, his daughter, daughter. Yeah. Yeah. is where the humor yeah. comes in a bit, and how surprised. he's trying to raise her as a single parent. Mm-hmm. I didn't
0: realize it was. Uh, I didn't realize it was a single take film actually.
2: Well, the yeah, the whole film is the short was. Okay. So I would just I would recommend at least I can at least recommend the short film. It's yeah. you can find it online, and it's you know I'm always interested in how short film is structured because you know going back to the Robert McKee conversation like I think the rules are quite different when you're going in like with like a five or ten mm-hmm. or maybe there's you know again break all the rules but you know how do you tell a story in that format and it's it, I think it's does a really good job of of telling you know it's it's like a one-man show basically yeah. is what you're seeing so
0: uh, I thought that would be a good season uh, that I ever fleshed out it was uh, one take right one take wonders I was going to call it yeah. All films that are shot in one take, but I can only think of about three. Well, there's Russian art. The, the Russian art, one. Russian <laughs> art is, is a great film. Yeah, I really enjoyed that.
2: Uh, I mean, Rope is a is a faux one take film. so I want it
0: to be authentically one take. Uh, so, Victoria. You want to see Victoria, which is the uh, the film with I think it was she's a Spanish girl in Berlin, and she goes to a club, meets some people, and then she gets uh, drawn into a heist. Uh, later on that night, it's an absolutely fantastic film.
2: I mean, the thing is, you couldn't do a one take feature until, like, digital cameras made it no, possible that's, to that was do so.
0: Watching actually the uh, the documentary that came with uh, the Russian ARC mm-hmm. uh, DVD I uh, had years ago, looking at the the cameraman who had to walk around with the the huge HD camera just on his the, the, the kind of uh, the, the unit on his back and then carrying the steady camera around with him as well, like for an hour and a half. Yeah. That's very intense. And of course, there's like eight months of, of um, you know, of, uh, of training and, and practice. Oh, and I think there, there are people
2: on radios. Like, oh, yeah. You know, I there's know. just there's so much coordination. that.
0: Goes See, into that. Seeing, I mean, it's, it's enough just to watch the film. It's, it's totally inspiring and it's amazing and you get completely lost within that. But seeing the, you know, the making of seeing the person, film the person actually doing it, seeing the coordination that goes into actually making it work, walking from room to room it's just phenomenal and those are the only ones I can think of there hasn't
2: been that many
0: there hasn't been that many Birdman is like the f- another faux one, one. Oh, another no. one yeah. yeah I'd probably show the opening sequence to Snake Eyes <laughs> Nicolas Cage <laughs> it's
1: just a Nicolas Cage kind of day <laughs>
0: it's just a, he can creep his way into any podcast though Nick Cage <laughs> Right, a Turkish super anti-hero tries to reclaim a destructive formula which has fallen into the hands of the only being capable of defeating him, the notoriously dastardly Superman. Alan Mulholland, host of Night Gallery. What on earth am I talking about?
8: Uh, You would be talking about Killing in Istanbul. Nice. And Killing versus The Flying Man. Uh, Two movies that are one. One movie that is two. Uh, It is a uh, a fabulous, it's a hot mess, that's what I'm going to say. The character's roots are Italian.
1: Mm
8: -hmm. Uh, He came out of a line of previous anti-heroes that for some reason always had K's in their name, right? So it was Diabolic. He's also known as Satanic with a K, and criminal with a K, I love that one, that's a really good one.
0: Everything with a K. Yeah, yeah.
8: satanic, sadistic, killing. Anyway, so so he sort of sprung out of the Fumetti comics movement, mm-hmm. right? so Fumetti is smoke. I'm gonna come clean with everyone right now, is my good friend who I mentioned before, Maggie Hardy, who is absolutely indispensable in, in helping me run this series, has made me a several pages of notes she is uh the expert at this so if i uh mangle anyone's name or mispronounce anything in spanish or italian uh please be kind this type of character though there's a it's he's almost like a freudian archetype or something right there's a if you think about things like the phantom Mm. right this sort of guy in a tight suit with a Pistol, you know, beats people up sometimes for good, sometimes they're they're always a little bit douchey. Killing doesn't justify anything. He does stuff just because he wants to, right? So yeah. he's a skeleton-suited douchebag. But why was he popular, right? Like this is this is what I want to explore in in screen this room. It's funny when you watch a lot of these Turkish reworkings of of American films and, and and other European films, you get used to really poor quality and like all the characters are really ill-defined. And, yeah, and and it's obviously like uh, like a B movie, like like what we would call a drive-in movie here in North America. But this film is different. The character of the Flying Man, who's mm-hmm. as you say Superman, but he's actually kind of like captain super batman marvel right okay. like he's which is as crazy as it sounds i don't want to give anything away but you'll see what i mean when when you see him yeah. it's, it's it's really quite magical it's almost like he's presented to be kind of a dork yeah right like like even they would say, eh, that's what's with those crazy pants you're wearing right and whereas uh killing is super cool right like he really rises above the genre of like crappy turkish movies right and,
0: and he's almost uh, like uh he almost sounds like a kind of early blaxploitation uh character in a way like there's a lot of like superfly you know he's not a not a good guy no in not really. any way at you all wouldn't but he's want your the daughter
8: he, dating him that's for sure absolutely not you know she'd probably be dead yeah but, uh, i'd bring him
1: home though <laughs> <laughs> that's my guess
8: for beers so. <laughs> Yeah. So, 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 part of the, the the thing we're trying to figure out is like, like, why are these so popular? Like, why do people keep coming back to these sorts of characters? And it wasn't just uh, male characters, too. Uh, if you start to look through the history of these sort of fumetti comics, and and these were, uh, in particular, uh, Killing came out of a series of uh, photo novels, they called them, right? But they're essentially photographic comics, right? You had. Uh, you know, female characters on both sides of it. Um, what was her name? Black Spider, and there was a couple others. They, they, they just seem to be purely focused on themselves, right? Not particularly good or evil. Just like it's all about me. right? Yeah. Don't get in my way.
0: So, Killing in Istanbul—that's the one we're showing. On what's the actual date of it?
8: It will be on uh, the
0: 16th. The 16th, and uh, this is the, this is the film is from 1967, if I'm 1967. correct, which uh, was right in the middle of when the uh, the the comic book was originally published, which was 66 to 69. Yeah. And I just learned it's been um, restarted at least in 2005, and it's still going now. Yes, there's a
8: fellow named
0: Matt Mort played. Todd.
8: Yes, Mort Todd. Is that his real name? Uh, in, the, in the States uh, that has sort of revived the character and is starting to uh, republish some of them. To be clear, this will actually be two films kind of mashed into one, because uh, Killing in Istanbul and Killing versus The Flying Man uh, are kind of the same movie. And so in order to try and make sense of it, which it doesn't exactly, I'm going to be sort of editing it together into, into one, we'll just call it Killing. But uh, rest assured you Gore fans, uh, before the film, uh, because it's not terribly long, uh, I'm going to be giving a little talk uh, about the history of the character and we'll really dig in. We'll, we'll show some of the graphics, and graphic they are folks, um, uh, not only of, uh, about the, the Killing comics but um, uh, other characters like Hessa, Joe Crush, which is like the greatest detective name ever. So there's just so much to go through. So we'll we'll spend a half hour and, uh, you know, we'll sort of flip through some of these things and and chat about it. And Maggie will be there to talk a little bit about it as well. Uh, It's going to be magical. But I will tell you that I have started because I don't understand social media at all. I've gone with what I do know, which is YouTube. So I've started a Night Gallery YouTube channel and I am going to post there as things can be posted. Uh, So if you look for Metro Night Gallery on YouTube, um, you'll see uh, the things that are there. That's exciting. Uh,
0: All right, okay, so metrocinema.org for more details. March 16th, midnight. Alan, thank you very much for talking to me again. You're very welcome. That's uh, you know, other than a lot of the other sort of uh, one-off screens we've got. We've got a lot of those. There's, uh, Plus, actually, there's loads of stuff we haven't talked about. Uh, Lords of Chaos is another one, which is about a Norwegian uh, metal band trying to make it big, and it kind of like descends into, you know, darkness and psychedelia, from what I gather. And it's got a Kulkin in it. Although I forget which one, take a stab. Not not that one.
1: The other one after it's the that. Kieran, mm. not me. Kieran. Oh. There's
0: another one in I there somewhere. <laughs> He's in it. <laughs> uh, Ruben Brandt Collector.
2: Right. Yeah. This is like a animation film.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which actually looks pretty wild. Uh, All the Wild Horses, which uh, is about a international. It's the Mongol. Mongolian
3: 700 mile horse race
0: okay so it's an international competition that uh, people you know come to from all over the world and then they do this incredibly dangerous horses and just go crazy so that's another thing we've got coming up we've got the room again Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, what else sci-fi cinema showing the matrix which is nice because it comes a month after we're showing bound uh, so that's a good thing. And uh, we've got a few. I've oh, got uh, Bohemian Rhapsody as part of our Metro movie party as well.
3: Of Which course. may be right after it went.
0: As usual, there's lots of things that, uh, that we haven't got uh, around to mentioning. There simply isn't time. But go to metrocinema.org and find out more. It's being updated daily, so any kind of holes in the program will be filled up very, very quickly. Thank you very much for listening. I have been Owen. She's been Heather. You <laughs> like, what, what kind of setup is this? I know. I just got lost in reading oh, this. Owen, you're the yeah. I'm the host. Guy. I should not You should know You're right. <laughs> yeah. Usually I write We're just outro. saying that, but, you
3: know. No pressure
0: or anything. So go to metricinema.org for more details. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you very much for listening.
1: Thanks. Yeah, cheerio. Yay. Yay.
0: That's what I was looking for, (laughs) because that's what's happened every time. I say, okay. Thanks for listening.